Okay, cool. Everyone can hear me? Yep. Awesome. So thanks very much for coming to our talk. Uh, since it's the after lunch talk, I'm going to like ask a few questions so that you guys don't fall asleep. Doesn't mean you have to do push-ups or handstands or anything. It's just literally putting your hands up. And um, thanks again for coming to the talk. Security change through feedback. Um, who has heard of Riot Games? Good. It's good. Yeah. Um, anyone here play games like board games, video games? Awesome. Sweet. Anyone play League of Legends? Anyone tilt during League of Legends? <laughs> awesome, sweet. Um, cool, so there'll be a few gamer analogies and things like that through the talk. Looks like most people will understand them. Uh, we won't go too deep on you know, gamer analogies, but it's kind of inevitable when you spend every day of your life gaming and then a little bit of security on the side. So talk split into four sections. By the end of the talk, you should understand the challenges that we at Riot Games faced as we moved um, to the cloud and how we solve those challenges. My name is Mark Hillick. I've been working in security and networking for a long time. I've done my fair share of certifications. I've contributed to the um, open source community. And uh, that's, that's an interesting community, but I've learned a lot through doing that. And um, I work at Riot in the LA office. So as you can probably detect from my accent, I'm not American. So that means that I spell words a little differently. Um, so it really kills me that my presentation has had to be in US English. I don't really know what you guys dislike about the letter U, but you know, it's been dropped from my presentation. And uh, LA is a little warmer than Ireland, so I get to surf in some warm weather. So I'm pretty happy about that. So Riot Games, um, a lot of people play our games. So as a result of that, our infrastructure is pretty large. It's quite diverse. It's spread across the world. So because of these kind of scale issues, or you know, I wouldn't call it an issue. It's a, it's a good problem, right, that a lot of people play our game. But it means that from an engineering perspective and a security perspective, it's quite hard to triage at scale. Uh, you get a lot of challenges that you don't get uh, at lower numbers. And um, I'm going to share some of those challenges throughout the talk. But one of the most obvious things for a security person is as your infrastructure becomes more diverse, becomes bigger, it's incredibly hard to perform incident response. And as a result of that, it's quite hard to understand what risk you actually have in your, in your infrastructure. So for those of you who don't know Riot, this is our mission statement. And it's, it's not just talk. We actually walk this walk every day. So for us in security, it's not just the standard like risk versus business decision when we want to do something. For us, it's literally like, how is this going to affect the player? What's the most important thing for us to do? If we do blah, will it prevent the player from playing the game, et cetera? And a really good example of that is, um, has anyone heard of the Poodle um, MITM SSL vulnerability from a few years ago, right? Um, did most people patch that? I'm presuming everyone patched that, right? Well, we patched it, but we actually didn't patch it immediately because we were like, if we patch this, it's going to prevent a large amount of our players playing the game because we have a lot of players that use XP. And in order to upgrade from SP2 to SP3 on XP, you, you needed to do that to like 
patch your ciphers, right, and make sure that you aren't vulnerable. But if we did that, all those people using XP couldn't play the game, right? But ultimately, we made the decision because much higher percentage of our players are not on XP, but we still thought about, will we patch because it's ultimately going to affect our players from playing the game? So we see security a little bit differently. And the reason we see it a little bit differently is because everything is about player value. Like we want to operate as a sports team across the organization, which means that we in security, we support, we enable. We don't want to be that security team that you know, sits in the corner and blocks or is like, hey, you're not going to do X, you're not going to deliver project Y because you haven't done these security things. Ultimately, we see collaboration and feedback resulting in a more secure solution as opposed to following the traditional security model. Okay, so that's like an introduction to me and to Riot and how we think about security at Riot. And now we're gonna dive into like our challenges. So you know, like many companies, we moved to AWS to deliver value super quickly, to, to remove ourselves from the traditional operational model of like waiting for a server for eight weeks or 12 weeks before we could like launch a website. However, while AWS has enabled us to deliver value to our players incredibly quickly, it, we scaled and we didn't scale in the best way that we wanted. Um, we, and we ended up with, you know, this spaghetti junction type infrastructure, right? Which is incredibly hard to triage, it's hard to administer. And this was pre the Direct Connect days of AWS. So it was like VPNs everywhere, which VPN's awesome, right? It's secure in transit, but like trying to do incident response was super hard. Um, a couple of my colleagues in 2014 talked about these challenges, uh, reinventing our AWS model. So it's on engineering.riotgames.com, and it's also on the AWS reInvent uh, website in terms of old videos, Jonathan McCaffrey and Marty Chong. So if you want to learn more about that, you can dive into those. The, the second challenge I want to talk about is when we tried to solve the spaghetti junction problem, we ended up with shared accounts. We thought shared accounts was super cool because we would have shared infrastructure. However, when you have shared ownership, you end up with shared accountability, which results in no accountability. And when you have no accountability, it's super hard to basically do anything, right? But from an incident response perspective, from a triage perspective, there are a lot of AWS objects that no one really owned. With shared accounts, you also hit resource limits super quickly. So we had a lot of issues where we ran out of max, you know, we ran out of security grips, instances, ELBs. And if you remember our mission statement, that slows down the iteration. So that means that we don't deliver to players as quickly as, as we should be, right? And then from a security perspective, when you have a shared account, you've got shared infrastructure, which means you have no isolation. So one incident can affect product team B, but it could also affect product team C, product team D, out of no fault of their own. From a risk perspective, that's obviously pretty bad. Third challenge I want to talk about involves a tool called Security Monkey. Security Monkey is an awesome tool. I love the Netflix security team. They have probably done more than anyone else for you know, improving the world of cloud security. And they've, they've open sourced so many tools that cloud security is an immeasurably better place because of them. However, when we deployed Security Monkey, it gave us, as the security team, an immense amount of visibility. But if I'm a product owner, if I'm a developer, and I'm like, hey, show me the insecure security groups across my infrastructure, I ended up with 7,187 insecure security groups, 
So while that's great visibility and improved understanding for me, how do I, as a security person, talk to a developer and go, hey, can you help me out here? Can you secure your infrastructure? Like 7,000 insecure security groups is, is a pretty big challenge. So I like to call this, you know, boiling the ocean, like the red screen. So we ruled out tools, but they didn't actually help the developer. They helped us give us a better understanding. But A, a developer didn't want to do it in terms of like fixing their infrastructure. But if they did want to do it, they didn't know where to start, right? They, there was decision paralysis with our tool suite that we launched out. The final challenge that we faced when we went to AWS is what I like to call secrets. So who in the audience has had an AWS API key leaked to GitHub? OK, so the rest of you are liars. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a few. Now, fortunately for us, ours have been caught by Bitcoin miners. Now, the thing about Bitcoin miners is that they're not exactly APT, right? They're not an advanced threat. They're pretty damn noisy. So all of a sudden, you will have 2,000 instances, 1,000 instances spawned, which sets off like all type of alerts. Typically, when a finance person pops by your desk, and it's like, hey, what's going on here, right? So, so luckily enough, we've, we've caught all those. But we were like super interested because we were thinking, how are these people finding these leaked AWS API keys that quickly? And we did some testing. We deployed a canary. And uh, we leaked an API key to the Riot Games GitHub repository. And now within GitHub, you can actually find that within a minute. They have a super cool tool called GitGuardian, which detects the leaked API key within a minute. We had an attacker catch the key and try to authenticate against our AWS, AWS infrastructure on the STS service, the secure token service from Amazon, within seven minutes. So like within seven minutes, someone actually had detected the key, retrieved the key, and connected to our AWS infrastructure. Our bug bounty was a little bit slower. They took three days, but they actually gave us a really nice report. So to recap, the, the summary from this section is we were dealing with a lot of firefighting. OK, AWS had enabled us to deliver a lot of player value. We were, we were able to iterate super quickly. But we had a lot of tech debt. We had architectural challenges. We had security incidents. And you know, in summary, we had a lot of emergent work. So the question remains, how did we exact the change within our engineers in order to like ramp up the security posture of our AWS infrastructure? And the answer is, we had to engage the hearts and minds. So how do we engage those hearts and minds? Has anyone seen this before? I'm incredibly passionate about this, probably to the disdain of most people that work with me at this point. But I think it's super important because you never want to be that security team in the corner. And at the end of the day, within security, what you're trying to drive is you're constantly trying to drive change. And most of that change is cultural change. I know there are a lot of talks that are like, hey, I dropped an O day. I like popped a stack. I 
you know, uh, fished all these finance people or whatever, but they're not really challenging the, the, the core problem. And the core problem is that the security team should not be blocking. It needs to be embraced. Um, we like to talk about security and Riot as being the bastions of our you know, culture. So at the end of the day, we hire really smart people. And ultimately, we want these people to deliver player value. So why should we block these riders from delivering those awesome player experiences when we can enable them to succeed as opposed to block? And that's why at Riot, we strongly feel that security is an enabler. So in order to enact the change that we wanted, in order to improve our AWS security posture, we needed to bear this in mind that we were never to block. And I know that's contrary to like the traditional security model, but let's be honest, the traditional security model wasn't working. So the first way we sought to like, you know, enact change was like, okay, what's our tool set? So like many teams, we use a mixture of tools because no tool by itself can create a secure platform. So our philosophy is we try to use the best tool for the job, regardless of the source. So that could be a vendor, it could be AWS, it could be an external you know, company like Netflix, for example, open sourcing something. And then we have our own specific problems where we you know, develop our own tools to solve those problems. And for the rest of the talk, I'm gonna focus on these tools and how we developed those tools, how we implemented these tools, and how at the end of the day, through their implementation, we feel that we've raised the security posture of Riot Games within AWS. So the first tool that I'm gonna talk about is AWS Temporal Key. So if you cast your mind back to the GitHub problem that I talked about. So within AWS, with IAM, it's very easy to create local long-lived AWS IAM keys. And let's be honest, like with even within security, who wants to go to the trouble of having to create an IAM key every time you need it, right? It's so much easier just to have it sitting there and you're like, boom, 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 and it's launched. Or you can talk to S3 without having to retrieve the key in the first place. So we were like, how do we make this easier for developers, right? How do we reduce the impact on a successful compromise of an engineer's API key? And with, with the STS service, the secure token service from Amazon, you're able to retrieve keys that will be temporal. And the tools had pretty good adoption across Riot. And we call it OSKey or AWS key. And essentially, there's a couple of forms that we've created. One is within a web UI. I'm just quickly checking and make sure I've scrolled out all those access keys. <laughs> I think they're good. And the access is tied back to our Active, Active Directory policy, right? So that means that you do not get an API key that's like, hey, you've got super admin across everything. It also means that the policy is tied centrally, it's auditable, and it's transparent. Um, we've created a tool within the web UI. As you can see, you are given three bash commands to run. We've got uh, a Windows option also. You can also use the CLI version. And the really cool thing about the CLI version is that we created this tool with a web UI and we added Swagger functionality. And one of our engineers, who is not in security, got super frustrated with our UI 
that he went and created his own node CLI tool at 9 p.m. when his daughter went to sleep and like pushed it at 12 p.m. that night and literally transferred it the following day to like our repo within our own internal GitHub, which for us was like completely awesome because it shows us that we're actually making progress, right? And that people value the stuff that we create. The initial results have been pretty positive and we have a decent adoption. We've created a login functionality in the tool logs uh, essentially to indicate what users have used it, how many keys have been generated. And I wanna really emphasize that this is super important because what many teams do is they create a tool, but they don't actually measure whether or not it's successful. So what we're really trying to do here is to be audience focused. And to be completely honest, if this tool had not been successful, we would have killed it. But now that we measure it, we can actually see that it has been successful. So now we just have to fix our crap code. So the second tool that I talked about a couple of slides back was called Cloud Inquisitor. And Cloud Inquisitor is gonna take up the rest of the talk, essentially. Now, if you cast your mind back to a couple of the challenges, you've got the spaghetti junction, you've got the shared accountability equal no accountability. So the TLDR is that a big problem that we had was we couldn't attribute anything back to an actual owner. So if you look at the problem statement on the screen, our tool called Cloud Inquisitor is essentially going back to a core problem of ownership attribution. Now, we, I, we looked at the challenge of ownership attribution across all AWS, and we broke it down even further and went after one specific AWS technology, which was EC2 instances. The reason we did that is because we don't want to boil the ocean, right? We want to, like, make a change that will actually have an effect, but also enable us to engage the hearts and minds of our engineers. And if we set the scope too wide, that's not gonna be possible. But why is ownership attribution important? Has anyone ever tried to do incident response on infrastructure that you don't know even exists? It's pretty hard. Now, if you know it exists, but you can't attribute an attribute an owner, it's still pretty hard, right? And the final thing, there are a lot of privacy regulations coming out, mostly from the continent that I'm from. Sorry about that. But if you don't need it, why is it running in the first place, right? Everyone knows, like, nearly every week there is uh, a security vulnerability announced or someone has a breach announced. And, like, we all accept that we're going to be attacked, we're going to be breached, but it's even more embarrassing if you're breached for something that doesn't need to be there in the first place. So when we had the why defined, we thought about the what. Now, thankfully, within AWS, there's a super easy way to attribute ownership, and that's through tagging. So we had a ready-made solution. We knew the problem we wanted to fix. But how do we implement it? How do we implement it in such a way that our engineers our product owners, et cetera, are bought in and they're like, hey, we wanna you know, do this as well because it's gonna ramp up our security. Well, luckily enough at Riot, we had a ready-made solution. It's 
Is everyone familiar with requests for comments, RFCs? I see a lot of, everyone's obviously tired because they're just nodding their head as opposed to hands. Awesome. So, <laughs> so we leveraged the RFC type concept that you would see the IETF um, talk about or publish for internet standards. And, and this is how we build alignment at Riot. And the really cool thing about alignment at Riot is that it's not top down, it's actually bottom up. And the benefit of having something bottom up is that it will last longer and you have more chance of success. So let me talk a little bit about our RFC process. Essentially, it's not an approval process, right? It's literally about receiving advice. It's how we within Riot sit down, talk about tech design processes, um, you know, architecture, challenges, potential solutions, and totally get that it may not be for everyone, but we have found it incredibly useful. We wrote one RFC that had 140 lines of RFC, like pseudocode. There were 850 lines of comments. At the time, it felt absolutely awful because I thought I wrote a perfect RFC, but I was quickly told within minutes that it wasn't perfect. However, I wrote an RFC that had 50% alignment, but when it was actually adopted, it was 70% of my original RFC with 100% alignment. So that's a super key point that I want to emphasize. The first RFC had no chance of success, but because we had 100% alignment, it was able to succeed. And then when you get that alignment, you get it adopted at scopes. Now scopes is like scopes within programming. So there's like a tree structure, top level scope, and then it breaks down the products and teams. Um, again, engineering.riotgames.com, we have a blog post, tech design process by my colleague Cam Dunn, talks a lot more about it. But the thing with security is we, like to, we wanna drive change throughout the organization. So typically all our RFCs are at the top level scope, which means it's a little bit harder to get alignment, but when we get that alignment, we can have great success. So here's a couple of RFCs that we've written within AWS. Um, pretty, pretty standard. First two are like network security and architecture design. The third one is like super important for privacy and raising the bar against a successful attacker. And then the penultimate RFC is the RFC that we wrote for AWS key that I talked about earlier. So that's how we obtain a temporal API key for programmatic access. And then the final RFC is called AWS ownership attribution. And it's the philosophy behind the implementation of Cloud Inquisitor. So this is a quick screenshot you know, for authenticity of what an RFC looks like within Riot. It's pretty standard. Uh, we use Confluence. Each RFC covers things like the problem statement, the version history, the challenges considered, and the proposed solution. And I really just wanted to show the audience what an RFC looks like. So consider it essentially pseudocode. So now that we, we wrote the RFC, here's the process that we followed, right? We wanted to fix one issue and have our teams be passionate about that one issue. So as a reminder, we shrunk the change to focus on EC2 instances only across AWS. We went through the RFC process, um, 
received a lot of awesome feedback again. And to be honest, like every time I write an RFC, I always end up with a better solution than the one I originally proposed. So we got to the final RFC, it was adopted, we achieved alignment, and it became a standard across Riot. So then, at the end of the day, we're all engineers, right? So now we get to the exciting, the exciting point. It's like, hey, let's go write some code, and let's ship it, and let's actually clean up all that data. So Cloud Inquisitor now moves from ideation to implementation. So we have alignment to enforce ownership attribution across all of AWS. So we tested our code, fixed the bugs, tested it again, fixed it, and then we deployed it, and it went into implementation. Now, what exactly did we implement? We implemented the enforcement of three tags for every EC2 instance across AWS. So you need to identify the name of the actual instance, the owner, and the accountant tag. The accountant tag is essentially the team. The notifications are then sent on a regular schedule over four weeks, at which points the, inst the instance is shut down, and then after 12 weeks, it's permanently deleted. So after a total of 16 weeks, the instance is gone, and we have removed data that, no longer, that didn't actually need to be there, which is great from a risk perspective. Okay, so the tool has been implemented. We're super happy. However, our tool didn't go quite to plan. So within Riot, no one actually knows that the tool is called Cloud Inquisitor. Everyone thinks the tool is called Murderbot. <laughs> Over the past two weeks, the questions I'm getting are like, hey, why is the tool called Cloud Inquisitor? Why can't we call it Murderbot? I have to sit the person down, explain to them, it's like it's not really you know, a good name, it didn't intend to murder stuff. <laughs> Let's just say, on the night, the Friday of, I can't remember the exact date, but in October 2016, I had a lot of red wine. I think one of the greatest inventions in the US is Costco. Their wine is really good. So thank you, Costco. <laughs> so we caused a bit of player pain. There's a club service within League of Legends. We brought it down. Now, importantly, the tool from a functionality perspective, an implementation perspective, did everything it was meant to do. It only shut down instances that were non-compliant with the tagging infrastructure. However, we got a feature request during the four-week process to shut down. We executed on the feature request, right? Everyone wants to receive pull requests, feature requests from non-security people. It means it's super cool. It means like, hey, people value your tool. We didn't do completely proper QA on it, to be clear, and uh, notifications uh, stopped. <laughs> so people got the first few notifications, and then the last couple were missing. And then we also made a little bit of a scheduling mistake, and we ran it on Friday night. We didn't intend to run it on Friday evening. We had a one instead of a zero, or two, and anyway, a typo. The problem is we're a global team, so Friday night at 5 p.m. is 
7 p.m. in St. Louis. However, in Dublin, that's 2 a.m. No, 1 a.m. So if you own a service and you're in Dublin and you get a call at like 2 a.m., hey, your service is down Saturday morning. Stereotypically, if you're Irish, you're probably not sober. But <laughs> even if you are, you're not going to be too happy, right? So, player pain, not really a good feeling. We're all players, just not super happy. Now, how does player pain manifest itself within Raya? So, like, we really want to show that we care so much about the game, we care about our players, and to be honest, like, I got a lot of feedback. A lot of feedback. And this is Slack. So, hey, can I have a list of teams? Right? Mark Hillick is answering a lot of questions this night. Mark Hillick's getting a lot of one-on-one -on -one messages and text messages also. As you can see, at this point, our tool is now called a bot. There's also confusion around what tagging needs to be done here, right? As you can see, someone has tagged their instances. However, they didn't tag their auto-scaling group. So the auto-scaling group started again, but without the tags. So it got killed again. There's a little bit of misalignment coming to the fore in terms of we went through an RFC process, we got alignment, we got adoption. It seems like we missed something here, right? Any Harry Potter fans in the audience? So I used to think I was in Gryffindor, but on this night in particular, I think I was clearly in Slytherin. <laughs> I've highlighted a quote from uh, one of the ladies called Margaret in Raya. The reason I've highlighted this is she was actually the product, she is the product lead of the club service, right? So even though we've just taken down her service, she still defaults to trust. Right? Super important part of our culture. We went through the correct process, the RFC, et cetera, we published it. Okay, we made communication mistakes, we made notification mistakes also, but she's still trusting us that we had good intent and we did this for a very player-focused reason. So, what next? This was probably the most challenging time of like my four and a half years at Riot. Like, no joke, it was pretty bad. We took down a team, we took down a production service, and all on a Friday evening. And it didn't feel bad because of the feedback that I got. It actually just felt bad because we hold ourselves to a very high standard. And it was clear that adoption you know, went okay, but there were still misalignment. So what we did is we did a root cause analysis, and we made it completely open and transparent, and we got an independent person within Riot, i.e. someone not on security, and not like suffering the effect of what we did. And we ran an RCA that literally went for about four weeks. We published it on our Confluence page. We talked about our learnings, talked about our failings. We talked about what we could do better next time. And um, we obviously apologized. And the really important thing is we got a lot of feedback, but we showed that we listened to it and we actually then iterated on it and improved it. And I talked to one of the senior leads in engineering. And, and this is what he told me literally a couple of weeks after. And once, once I got this quote, 
I was like pretty, pretty happy because we had adopted a process within engineering and we'd actually actioned it and we'd improved our solution. And we were radically transparent. We were not that security team in the corner. We held ourselves to the standards that the rest of engineering does. So what did we learn? Obviously our communication was not ideal. We didn't hit all the required groups in our communication. And uh, despite you know, previous adoption, alignment wasn't really there. People didn't know what was an invalid tag, who owns service X within AWS. So these were like core problems that we had to fix. And additionally, our, our code obviously had a few bugs around notifications, et cetera. So we went through the process again. We did the RFC, we took feedback, we made some modifications. We provided more clarity uh, within our tool, within the user interface. You know, we made our tools, we made our RFCs even more audience focused. And we got really good feedback on that. And we got alignment in terms of, you know, hey, let's, let's do this again, you guys. We believe in what you're doing, we believe in why you want to do it, so let's go, let's go again. One side benefit that was completely unintended, there were a lot of discussions around disaster recovery, which, has, which probably wouldn't have happened if we hadn't taken a service down, but you know. Nice side benefit. And then eventually, an email comes out from our director of engineering, and he's like, cool. And as you can see, it's not called Cloud Inquisitor. So we've been running the tool since March 2017. It's no longer considered as Murderbot. It's been running really well. We've shut down just over 3,000 instances across our AWS infrastructure, which is a pretty huge reduction in risk for us. It's also our finance people are pretty happy, although when I asked for a raise, they didn't listen to me. <laughs> so. This is what Cloud Inquisitor does. One of the really cool things that it also does is it enables our security features across all of our AWS infrastructure. So we have 60 accounts, which is quite big, not as big as some companies, but bigger than most. And it enables things like CloudTrail, it enables VPC flow login, and uh, much to the chagrin of our bug bounty researchers, it saved us well on the six figures on uh, DNS hijacking. So DNS hijacking is like super easy to do within AWS. You know, if you delete the wrong thing, but you don't delete the, the, the correlating, you know, match, so to speak, uh, in terms of like Route 53, S3, Elastic Beanstalk, CloudFront distributions, et cetera. And um, it's, been, it's been really good. And then from a security incident response perspective, it's really awesome also because it enables us to manage IAM policies across all of our uh, infrastructure. So with like IEM and STS, we've really been able to like leverage you know, AWS to ensure that our players have a more secure infrastructure. So now that you know the features, like how is it implemented? So as you can see, Cloud Inquisitor runs in an AWS account. It's your security or your audit account. And then it uses um, STS to assume roles 
in every other account that you have. So you obviously have to have um, IAM policies, et cetera, in those other accounts. Um, it runs on an instance profile within the security audit account. We have it implemented on EC2 with an RDS backend. Uh, you don't need the RDS backend. You, backend. you can actually have the database on EC2. And um, as I mentioned, STS assume roles is really significant within the solution. From a, a tech perspective, it's pretty standard. It's a very modular framework. Um, the reason that we've written it modularly is that we want to be able to disable certain functions or certain features. We also um, have based it on Flask, SQL Alchemy, and the front end is pretty similar. And from a deployment perspective, we actively use Packer. And because Docker is the new coolness, we were like, hey, let's, you know, create a dev infrastructure in Docker. So from a user interface perspective, this is what the tool looks like. So the tool is available to everyone across Riot. You obviously have to authenticate first to get into it. As I mentioned, we've killed over 3,000 instances and they haven't returned. The dashboard is super simple. You can see how many instances are running. You can see how many are stopped. You can see that there's now 10% of our instances with public IPs. This was 35% public IPs when we first started running the tool. I don't know about you, but I have a nice, like, warm, fuzzy feeling when less of my stuff is on the public internet. The stop number fluctuates, okay? We don't really measure that. The reason it fluctuates is because we have a lot of our testing harness within AWS. So it's not a support, uh, super important metric. What is really important is we can actually see per account so we can attribute to the actual owner, hey, your stuff isn't tagged. Now, I mentioned that we run a backend of MySQL. So the configuration for the tool sits in MySQL. However, we understand that not everyone likes, you know, MySQL CLI updating and stuff. Uh, so you can actually disable the auditors, which are the features, through a UI. One of the things that we tell teams across, across Riot is like, hey, we would like your logs. Please send us your logs. So we wanted to dog fit our own advice, and our tool has an audit log system here. So you can actually see that I changed something on a certain day at a certain time, and you can actually see what I changed. Now, if I'm an end user, what does the tool look like for me? Well, the end user, when, the, when one of their instances has not been correctly tagged. They receive the notification via email. So the type of things that you can see here are the instance name, the account, the region, the missing tags, the notes, et cetera. So it's, again, very measurable. It's very audience-focused. And it also provides further data on, hey, this is the original RFC, right? We are very aware that new riders join all the time. So not everyone will have the context that we murdered something or that we wrote an RFC, right? So we provide those links back. And if they want to find out further information, they can go into the UI and actually see what, what instance in a certain account has not been tagged and what tags are actually missing. 
So the final thing that I want to mention with regard to Cloud Inquisitor is our IAM policies. So we treat our IAM policies as code, which means that it's very audible, it's super transparent, and we can like, fix things within minutes. So previously, when we've had security incidents and tried to make changes across 60 accounts, it would take hours. But by having this functionality in code and then having a tool that can actually take that code and like, send it out across all accounts, it's now minutes as opposed to hours. So in summary, when enacting change, like make sure that you, know, you communicate and build constructive relationships. It was only because we had those constructive relationships in the first place that we were able to you know, rectify our mistake. And we also had people passionate about what we wanted to do. The reason we wrote Cloud Inquisitor and OSCE is because we had very specific problems that tools in the community didn't solve. But when we wrote those tools, we truly focused on the problem we were trying to solve. We didn't want to boil the ocean, right? We shrunk the change so that we could make the biggest impact possible with the lowest amount of effort. Now, obviously, sometimes in security, things are so bad that you're going to need to like, make a lot of effort. But that is not always the case. And when you do all these things, you will actually see that sometimes people outside of security do security work, which is pretty awesome. Because at the end of the day, you can only scale security so much by adding new engineers to your team. So final section is about level up. So these are like the steps that we're going to take internally with regard to the project and where we want to go next. So the really cool thing about this is that we're now going to enforce Cloud Inquisitor across all taggable AWS objects. And the even more beautiful thing is that that request came from three non-security engineers. It didn't actually come from the security team, which is actually amazing. So it would have been better if they had sent us a pull request with the actual code. But that's in the very distant future. However, they're super passionate about what we want to do, and they're totally aligned. So that's like a huge improvement. We, we have an additional auditor already written and implemented for volumes, EBS volumes. And we just need to turn it from monitoring into you know, deletion or removal mode. We're going to extend that onto snapshots and then S3. Everyone knows that S3 is a little bit insecure. Um, so pretty passionate about making that change. And then we're going to link it all into organizations. And then the important thing is we're not going to do all this at once, right? We're going to do this in a staggered basis and make sure that we have people bought in. And then finally, Cloud Inquisitor has a really cool logo. One of the advantages of like, working in Riot Games is that we've got artists and people who are creative, as opposed to people like me that can barely like, draw a straight line. The reason it has a cool logo is that we're going to open source it today. So it's actually on github.com. Um, so it should be available from, for download, github.com, Riot Games slash Cloud Inquisitor. You will see 
We might actually have time to go through it, but what you'll see is like one core repo, and then all the auditors and collectors and schedulers, et cetera, are, are sort of split off into their own repos. We spent hours last, last week going through the quick start, so hopefully everything is good. Um, this is our first attempt at you know, open sourcing something. We want feedback, like, please let us know what's good, what's bad, what sucks. Uh, please let us know, hey, your tool is crap. You don't want to use it. That would be good to hear. We've kind of documented our roadmap publicly so you can see it. We've got lots of ideas there, but we want to hear everyone else's ideas. And we feel that you know, with contributions from people outside of Riot, we can make the tool better. So before I finish, um, if I have time, I'll show you the GitHub repo. But before I do that, I want to thank like, the wider security team, the wider Riot. Um, you know, myself, Marty, and Asbjorn have been working on a lot of these problems for the last two and a half, three years at Riot. We couldn't have done it without like, the support of the wider security and engineering teams at Riot. And um, we're pretty proud of what we've done. But um, you know, this is us coming up with the creation of Cloud Inquisitor. As you can see, we went kaboom. And we literally did go kaboom. So. Let's see if I can show you the repo. So, as I said, Riot Games slash Cloud Inquisitor. And we've got Docker, Packer. We've got a README with a cool logo. And introduction, version, so version 1.00, obviously. Uh, the platforms, contact. So we created a Slack room, because Slack's the new coolness also. Uh, it's an open invite. Anyone can join us, contribute, tell us what's good or what's bad. And then from the resources perspective, we have the source code, obviously, change log, user guide, and the roadmap. So we've included some slide shots on user guide in terms of what you do, what you see. And talked about a roadmap, version 1.1 release, backlog. And uh, docs directory, so issue, Slack room, contributors, how to contribute, things like that. So that's it.